right, before we get into today's episode, let me tell you about Swagoon Perk, an ESPN podcast led by its namesake hosts, Marcus Spears, Swagoo, and Kendrick Perkins. Perk. With new episodes every Tuesday morning, Spears and Perkins will bring listeners the latest NBA and NFL news, as well as a look inside their lives, career journey with can't-miss conversations. That's Swagoo and Perk. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. back to another Adam Schefter podcast. On this week's episode, we will be joined by the number one analyst at Fox Sports, a man who already has lost his job to Tom Brady. Greg Olson will come by to talk about TEU, the camp he's helping to run in Nashville this week, benefits charities and helps the growth of tight ends, how his son is doing, as well as what it's like to lose his job to the great Tom Brady. Also in the news this week, we have two situations that are worth monitoring going forward. One is in Washington. The other is in Cleveland. And they will be two stories that hang over the NFL and continue to dominate headlines throughout the course of the summer. The first, of course, is the fact that the Washington commanders are under investigation. And Commissioner Roger Goodell already has accepted an invitation to testify on a Zoom call with the House Committee on Oversight and Reforms congressional hearing as they continue to investigate the commander's workplace environment. Dan Snyder said he could not attend that hearing. He will be away at the time. But here is what's interesting about the situation with the Washington commanders already. Did you notice that the NFL awarded the next two drafts to Kansas City and Detroit when Washington at one point was considered a favorite to land one of those drafts and didn't sniff a draft in each of the next two years. And did you notice that last week when FIFA announced the 16 host cities for the 2026 World Cup in North America, including 11 cities in the United States, none We're in Washington, despite the fact that Washington wanted to be one of the host cities for the 2026 World Cup in North America. So Washington was spurned by the NFL for the draft and Washington was spurned by FIFA for the 2026 World Cup. Now, that may just be coincidence that that happened, but something tells me that there were some concerns and questions about the workplace environment surrounding the Washington Commanders and the investigation that's ongoing right now by the NFL and by Commission Chair Mary Jo White, who has been conducting a separate investigation on behalf of the NFL into Dan Snyder's behavior, the culture place in the Commanders organization that has gone on. And we'll see what the league comes up with here moving forward, that certainly will be a storyline to watch. But I think that that situation already has had some effects on what is and most notably isn't happening in Washington. And of course, we have the Deshaun Watson situation. It would not surprise me at all if the NFL announced its decision on its investigation, its findings, and potential discipline for Deshaun Watson before the July 4th holiday, which would mean at some point here 
in the next two weeks. And I think there are a wide range of options. But the more that comes out on Real Sports and HBO, the New York Times and Jenny Ventress and the story she did, the more that comes out, the more I think the NFL is in a position where it's going to be forced to act and to take strong action against Deshaun Watson. This is an investigation that's gone on for a long time. I think it's coming to a head. And I think we're going to get clarity on Deshaun Watson here, potentially within the next two weeks. I know a lot of people have said before camp, but it would not surprise me if we got something here at all in the next two weeks. And so we will be watching Deshaun Watson. We will be watching the situation in Washington. And of course, today we had the occasion and the honor and the pleasure of speaking with Greg Olson. Obviously, with Father's Day this past weekend, TJ brought a new perspective to life. And he also talks about the burning questions surrounding what his career will look like once Tom Brady's new 10-year, $375 million contract with Fox kicks in and Greg may get kicked out of the booth. Hey, Adam. Hello, Greg. Nice to see you. Great to see you. What's happening? Thank you very much for your time in advance. I appreciate it. Of course. I'm happy to do it. I'm, uh, I was telling you, we run our youth, uh, our youth football camp that my dad and my brother run every summer. And I'm, uh, I had to come to it this morning. So that's why I'm just sitting here in the car doing it. And we're all done now, or you're still, you know, go, you're taking a little break to do the podcast and then go back. Trust me. I'm not complaining. I'm sitting in the air conditioning. It's like 110 degrees here. <laughs> Where are you? In Charlotte. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, that's great. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, Greg, a lot. I look forward to it. Let's do it. So, so, so we could start with, I guess, which was the origin of this podcast today, tight end you next week. And what I didn't realize is that the money that you raise from that goes to the boys and girls clubs to benefit them. Like I didn't realize that. So can you take me through what matters here and what this is all about? Yeah, a big element. You know, we, we have some really good sponsors. You know, Charmin came in this year as a presenting sponsor, Bridgestone, Levi's. We have, we have so many really good sponsors. And the, the, the best part is obviously allows us to put a really good um, event on for the tight ends. You know, we put them up in the hotel, we feed them, we bus them, we take them to and from practice and the meetings and whatnot. And then it also allows us to have a ton of revenue that we then give to charity. And one of the big, as you said, one of the big partners along with Bridgestone is um is the boys and girls club and uh they did this really cool program that each local hometown boys and girls club in the town that the, the tight ends are in um everyone can donate and the team with the, the, the city with the most donations and the city that raises the most gets an additional fifty thousand dollars and then the we're going to present on behalf of teu along with bridgestone a five hundred thousand dollar donation to the boys and girls club. So the charity component to the event is, um, is pretty significant. And we're thankful, you know, for the, you know, for the sponsors that have joined us, um, it allows us to, to have the money to do it. Now, how did this TEU camp come about? Is this you? Is this Kelsey? Is this Kittle? How does this happen? Yeah. So shortly last, uh, last March, after, shortly after I retired, I, I've gotten to know both Travis and George really well, just over the years, George and I have the same marketing represent uh, representatives. And, um, so George texted me, you know, congrats on a great career. If you ever come down to Nashville, we'd love you to come down in the summer. I, um, I train here with four or five other NFL tight ends, um, Hawkinson, Tunyon. Um, there's a handful of guys in the league that live down there in Nashville and train with George. 
And um, so I was like, yeah, I would love to like, why don't we see how many guys we can get in this summer? I'll come down there and we'll work out for a few days and it'll be a blast. So from that conversation, it, we just kept, you know, another guy would come and another guy would come and we were like, you know, we're kind of onto something here. So we're like, let's get Kelsey involved. And between the three of us, let's see if we can get 25 NFL tight ends to come to Nashville and have a, you know, practice session or whatever. And from that last year, we ended up with 50 and we, we realized pretty quickly that we had an event on our hands that was, that was, you know, an annual one. So this year we got over 75 tight ends and it grows every year. And um, it really just started from that text conversation. And aren't there other players coming aside from tight ends? Like, isn't Zach Wilson, for example, going to be down yep. there? Are there other players from other positions that join in as well, Greg? Yeah. So the last I, I know Josh Allen is coming. I know um, Zach Wilson is coming. Uh, we had thought Mahomes was going to come, and I guess he had a conflict with something else. So, yeah, we get quarterback. It's really we just get the quarterbacks, and then um, we get the tight end. Something cool that we're doing this year with Levi's is they're bringing in, um, I want to say, four college tight ends. And prior to the event, Wednesday afternoon, we're going to have like a mini college version where, um, you know, we're going to bring in some of the top guys at the position, you know, like three, three or four guys. And me and George are going to work out with them, um, spend some time on the field and do like a college edition of TEU on the front end before all the NFL guys get in um, Wednesday night. And last year, when you look back at this, do you see like these guys pick up things from you that you could see on the field during the season? Like, would you see a little move, a certain technique that maybe you helped teach somebody come to life on a Sunday? Like you ever see anything like that happen, Greg? You know, I, I don't know if necessarily like one individual play, but like I look at a guy like Dawson Knox, he, he came last year, you know, from Buffalo. He came last year, had a solid season the year before, but he was kind of the breakout guy that everyone was waiting. Like this guy's got a lot of potential. He's got a lot of, um, you know, skill. His tight end coach in Buffalo was actually my tight end coach when I got drafted in Chicago. So I've known him for a long time and I talked to him a lot and he had really high expectations of Dawson and they were hoping he'd crack through. He came to TEU last year and was super dialed in. He, he absorbed every piece of information I could on the field, he like really embraced it. And again, I'm not saying he had a great year because of TEU, but like you see guys like that who come, it means a lot to them. They're not just there going through the motions. They carry that momentum into camp. They carry that approach into the season. And then Dawson has, you know, the best year of his career last year. And again, it's not because he spent two days with us in Nashville, but it's just the approach he had leading up to the season. That's why guys have success. So you could see, who is about to have a big year, who might not be as good as some people think they are. Who's a guy, aside from Dawson Knox, that caught your attention last year? And I know that more will catch your attention this year. Yeah, and, and again, this guy's not exactly a sleeper. Uh, Darren Waller, I, I had known him, right? I'd, I'd obviously watched him play and, and kind of saw him as a young player kind of rise in the ranks out with the Raiders. And, um, but seeing him last year in person, Right. You got Kelsey and you got Kittle and you got Zach Ertz. And I mean, you got really Mark Andrews. I mean, we had, you know, some of the premier guys in the league and Darren Waller, just watching him run and look at his body, the way he's built, the way he can run. He almost looked like Calvin Johnson to me. And um, I came away. He had already been an established guy, so he's not exactly like a sleeper, but I came away from the camp and said on a field of 50 NFL tight ends to stand out physically is not easy. And he's just, he's a rare, rare dude. And um, 
so that to watch him play on Sundays and do what he does is not surprising because seeing him work up close and personal in a t-shirt and shorts is really impressive. Here's my favor. I'm going to text you at the end of the camp. What day does the camp wrap up? Uh, It's June 22nd to the 24th. Okay. And it's in Nashville at the end of the camp. I'm going to shoot you text and I'm going to say, Greg, who is the fantasy tight end that I want to draft this year? And I want you to send me back a couple of guys the Dawson Knox of 2022. Done. I'll give it to you. That's a deal. <laughs> I look forward to that. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't don't risk it click it or ticket paid for by nitsa this show is sponsored by better help we all carry around different stressors i do you do we all do big small and when we keep them bottled up as i sometimes have had happen in the past it can start to affect us negatively therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. All right. We are on the one-year anniversary of TJ being brought home from the hospital. Your son, now nine years old, had open heart surgery last year. I believe it was a 16-hour procedure. He comes home on this day last year, and when he gets home, there are 35 signed college football helmets from college coaches from all across the country, many of whom you never met. How is TJ doing right now? And did you know that today was the year anniversary? I, I, we did. And what's so cool about it, I appreciate you bringing it up, Adam. I'm actually, um, as I said to you prior, I'm sitting here in my car. My, my dad and my, and my brother run a youth football camp here in Charlotte every, every summer. And my two boys, TJ and Tate, are both actually out there running around. It's 100 degrees. And TJ's out there with the campers running around and, um, you know, doing a football camp. So the fact that a year ago today we were just bringing him home, as you mentioned, from a heart transplant, um, it's just hard to believe a year, you know, how, how far he's come in a year. And it's pretty special. We're, we're so thankful that he's doing as well as he is. Um, it was a tough summer last year, you know, to get that, to get that news in May. And say, you know, we don't know how long this process is going to be. We don't know what the prognosis is going to be, but he needs a heart transplant because he's in heart failure uh, to now be sitting here a year later. And he's running around on a field in the hundred degrees, dumping water on his head, laughing with his friends, playing football is uh, is pretty remarkable. Are there any limitations on TJ at all, Greg, or can he do anything, everything that any other nine year old can do? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, he has some restrictions, you know, we, on days like today, we have to be, you know, just be very careful. Like we do, we do with all the kids, but especially him just not getting overheated. He has some, um, you know, not to get overly technical, but when you get a heart transplant, 
they can't reconnect the nervous system in your body. So you and I's body, our hearts can adjust based on our central nervous system and, you know, excitement, fear, heat, exhaustion, like his heart is technically not connected to the rest of his body through his nervous system because they sever the nerves to do the transplant. They can't reconnect them. So on days like today, we have to be very careful. Like if he doesn't overheat, his heart doesn't react the way you and I's would, where it could kind of sense and shut itself down and operate. So it doesn't have all those capabilities that a normal, you know, a normal child would have, but within reason, um, we, you know, we're careful a little bit, but within reason, he plays baseball, he runs around. We, we don't, you know, doesn't have a ton of restrictions outside of his medicine and some of the dietary, um, you know, limitations that he has as a result. Do you often think back over the year, how far he's come and think about how fortunate you are to be in the spot you are today compared to where you were a year ago? Every day, every day. And sometimes we have to check ourselves, you know, I'll be at baseball practice and, you know, I'll be coaching him in baseball and he'll do something wrong that we've covered a million times. And I'm like, DJ, come on. Like, and then I like, after a second, I'm like, wait a minute. We didn't think he'd ever even step foot on this field again, let alone mess up a cut, you know, like, and sometimes we have to like check ourselves and be like, he has come so far. The fact that he is even doing all of this is a win. And, um, you know, sometimes the reality check, uh, is necessary for all of us. And, uh, but it's just, it's remarkable what he's been able to do and his outlook on life and his spirit and all that is really, is really special. How does something like that change your perspective on life? If it does at all, I would imagine it does. It does. And, you know, I, I've, I've been very, you know, I've been the first to admit, you know, there were, you know, over the year and still to this day, I, I probably could do better at this. You know, you let little things really get to you. Right. And you think little things are the end of the world and you stress about things that when you look back and six months were so insignificant, but in the moment they felt so real. And then here we were a year ago and you're in the hospital with TJ and all you'd want to do is be able to go out for pizza, come home and watch a movie and go to bed. Like all you'd want to do is be able to go out in the hundred degrees and do a baseball practice in the summer, but instead you're sitting in the hospital. So like when you do get those moments back, don't complain about them. Don't feel like you would have killed yourself a year ago to be able to do these things. So sometimes we have to kind of use it as a reset and say, Hey, a year ago, we never even dreamed we'd be doing this. So let's not make this too big of a deal, you know? So we all could get better at that. I know I'm at the top of that list, but uh, we're definitely trying. Not that it compares, but we had a situation in, I believe it was March. It was a Friday afternoon. My wife calls me in the middle of the afternoon. It was a Friday afternoon dealing with a bunch of NFL news, crazy kind of day. And she said, our daughter, Dylan, who is 13, they basically sent her for an EKG because she was going to go play softball for school. And she had COVID over Christmas, like all of us, our entire family yep. that I brought it home with me from Chicago. And so to make sure that there's no myocarditis, they make the kids get physicals. You got to go for an EKG. She went for an EKG. You're just expecting everything's going to go fine. My wife calls me and she's like, they found a hole in Dylan's heart that they need to close. I'm like. What? What? And so it turns out now, 20 years ago, to have this procedure, they would have had to given her, they, had, they would have cut her, open her chest, I guess, open heart surgery to a certain extent, right? Yep. yep. Now, amazingly enough, we had this great doctor. They, they go through her groin. Yeah. Yeah. They go through her groin and, and they plugged the hole. But to find out a month in advance that she has to have the surgery, 
again, a heart surgery, it's still your child. Yeah. That, that weighs on you. That is not easy, right? When you're dealing with everything else going on in the world. No doubt. To know that your child's going in. And that day, I remember sitting with my wife uh, in the waiting room. You sat there, I'm sure, with Kara waiting for TJ to be wheeled out. And the doctor came in and he just popped in. He's like, went great. We're all good. Like it was two hours later. I'm like, thank God. And and then, of course, uh, just the whole day being in the hospital recovering, just quite an ordeal, right? Yeah. You said they went up through her groin. Sometimes they can go up through her neck. Sometimes they can go in through the leg. Through the groin. They go, they go in through the, yeah, through the leg, the groin area. And then they can come up the vessels right. and access the heart. Yep. Correct. And they, and they, and they put like a, uh, like a parachute in there to plug the hole that lasts for the rest of her life. The doctor that did it, great doctor, Sean Levchuk. Um, he's done like 3,500 of these procedures on kids from all across the world. And it's become something, I don't want to say routine. It's not routine, but it is yeah. a little bit routine. They, they have a better understanding of it. Uh, but again, Dylan's surgery was not as significant, nearly as significant as TJ's surgery. And I can't even imagine what it would have been like for you and Kara to have to handle all this because my wife and I were, whoo. Yeah. Well, there's nothing, there's nothing routine about heart surgery. So that, that's, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, at any end of the spectrum, it's still serious. They're still being put under anesthesia. They're still being, sedated. right. It, it's right. There's nothing routine about watching, about wheeling your young child or your child at any age back to a, a back to a room to be put under anesthesia to have got, you know, out of any procedure, let alone heart procedure. So I'm glad she's doing as well as she is. TJ's actually going in for a, for his one year heart catheter procedure um, tomorrow, actually. So uh, wow, that'll be a big milestone for him to get his one year and then he won't have to get another one till next year. So we, uh, we've spent a lot of time in labs and what they can do with those little wires and balloons and, not having to go in through the sternum is, is, is just, it blows your mind. That that's the biggest part that did blow my mind about the whole thing. Like you're actually going to do it this way and the advances that they've made in medicine yep. and so grateful. And I'm thinking, boy, like I had a rough day at work. These doctors, what they do, nurses, the doctors, it's it amazing. is, inc it is incredible. They are incredible. And we are grateful as you know, for their work and their efforts. Let's go into your work. Your work has taken a little bit of a turn here. What is it like for you now to be the number one analyst for Fox, getting ready to do a Super Bowl this year? Take me through the mindset of what that process has been like, and obviously some of the side effects that which we'll get into. Yeah, I mean, when I when I, when I retired, you know, I I had, I had signed with Fox prior to my last season, so I, I had known that that was gonna be my last year, and I knew that TV was gonna be something I was gonna get into, and, and Fox gave me the opportunity to start me as the number two crew with with Kevin. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I always dreamed and always aspired. And I told the folks at Fox from the beginning, I was like, listen, I'm getting into this because one day I want to call the top game. One day I want to, you know, aspire to call Super Bowls and playoff games and whatnot. But I understand there's a little bit of a process involved to growing into that. So obviously year one, me and Kevin had a great time. We had a great year, um, you know, calling the second crew behind Joe and Troy and, um, never in a million years that I think in year two, I'd get an opportunity to call a Super Bowl, you know. So to go from last year calling the second game, um, we had a couple primetime games, which were great at the end of the year. But, you know, when the, I didn't get to call any playoff games, we, you know, Fox didn't have a second, you know, wild card or divisional or anything like that. So um, that was it. And then obviously there was all the rumors with, with Troy 
And then Joe ended up leaving and, you know, it was just a long off season of speculation and rumor and reports of who was going to get the job. And we always knew we were in the mix. We weren't exactly sure who else was in the mix, but we had some conversations over the winter. And, uh, and then obviously when the Brady news broke, we weren't exactly sure what that meant, right? We weren't exactly sure where we fit into that picture. And um, to Fox's credit, they, they were super upfront and they called us. They said, Hey, listen, this, you know, it was too good of an opportunity to pass up, but we would love you and Kevin to be back together again and call this year as the A crew and call the best game that we have and through the playoffs. And then of course, culminate in Arizona with the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, it's a great opportunity for me to do it. I don't know if it's going to be for one year, two years. I don't, who knows, but uh, for the time being, I'm going to go out there and try to have a great year and give people a fun broadcast and, uh, just to enjoy the opportunity that I was given, you know, very early in this new career. How do you approach that knowing that you could be doing a Super Bowl this year? You could be doing the great job that you do. And I really mean that. I love watching games that you do. You are a natural at this. But how do you approach that knowing that you could go out, have a great year, do the Super Bowl and be perhaps on the number two Fox team next year? Yeah, I mean, that that's reality, right? That's that's the reality. And, and I think. I, I approach it the same way I approached it when I was a player, right? I, I had a mindset, whether I was a rookie or all the way into my 14th season, that they're always going to bring in guys to replace you. They're always going to draft your replacement. They're always going to find someone cheaper. You know, my, my, my first reality check with this in, in Chicago in 2010, I was coming off leading the league, you know, leading the team and, and receiving yards. And I had a really good year and I was a young player kind of getting better. And, the first signing in free agency was Brandon Montemaliuna. Uh, Mike Martz wanted him to come in and be the starting tight end, and, and Brandon was awesome. And after a couple of days, you know, I was young, and I was feeling sorry for myself. You know, why'd they pay this guy all this money? I had such a good year. But then, you know, my mindset just turned into, like, I'm going to go out there and make this so hard on them. I'm going to make it so hard on them not to be able to play me, not to be able to throw me the ball that <laughs> – and that's exactly what I did. Like, I'm not going to allow the circumstances to alter. So I, I approach it the same way now. You know, when I had a young guy drafted behind me in Carolina that people thought it made me want to do it even more. Right. Like, if you're going to replace me, you're going to have to drag me out of here. And that's going to be my point now. Like, if Brady does retire and he steps into it, I want it to be like, I know Brady's coming, but damn, I feel I don't want to replace this guy. Right. Like, that's my mindset. And I can't control anything else. I'm going to try to give people a fun broadcast, a unique broadcast. Me and Kevin have a lot of, you know, have a lot of history together, both, both, you know, way back to when I was in high school and we're going to try to have a fun year. And if I get replaced by Tom Brady, I get it. But (laughs) along the way, I'm going to, I'm going to try to make it as hard as hell on everybody involved and try to give everybody a great year and make the most of this opportunity. Not many people get to call Super Bowls. And um, I'm, I'm not going to be looking over my shoulder, worried about mistake. I'm going to just go let it fly like I did when I played. And uh, I'll let other people make those decisions. So how much do you, would you anticipate that Tom Brady would be in your mind this season as you're doing a game? I don't think, you know, other than when we call Bucks yeah, games. Right. I guess, you know, other than when I call Bucks games, you know, not really at all. I, I, again, I can't, I can't control all that stuff. I'm obviously, you know, Tom Brady's Tom Brady. And, uh, I, you know, I, I get it. I, I don't I'm not naive. I understand the, the work, you know, the way things operate. And obviously, if you have a chance to sign him to call your games, I, I don't I don't fault anybody. But 
I'm going to go out and just do what me and Kevin did last year and, and try to just even get better. And I'm looking forward to working with, with Aaron and Tom Rinaldi and, and all these really talented people on our crew. And if that day comes that I get replaced by Tom, I get it. But in the meantime, I'm not going to be looking over my shoulder, be scared to mess up. Like I'm just going to let it rip and do the games like we did last year. And people seem to really respond to it. And uh, I'm going to kind of just take the same approach. I, I just say that because everybody over the course of the next year will be curious about what Tom Brady is doing, but you may have more invested in what Tom Brady is doing beyond this upcoming season than almost anybody else. And so it becomes, it, it becomes an interesting sort of dynamic. And what is your relationship with Tom? Have you had any contact with him at all since he signed with Fox? Has he reached out to you? You reached out to him. Have there been any conversations between the two of you? I mean, I, I have all the respect in the world for Tom. I don't know him overly well personally. We've, you know, we've met each other a handful of times, you know, both before and after games. Um, years back when I was, you know, when I got released by the Panthers, we had a few conversations when he was trying to figure out what he, at the time he was still in New England, but he was going to be a free agent. I, you know, we had a few conversations about, you know, possibly playing together, you know, where he was going to go. The timing just didn't work out because I obviously was released so I could sign earlier and went to Seattle. And then obviously they, they traded for Gronk and brought him to Tampa. But so I've gotten to know Tom, you know, over the years, we've exchanged texts here and there. I, I haven't talked to him through all of this. I know he's got a lot going on and sorting it out, but you know, I have all the respect in the world for Tom. I, like I said, I, I don't, I get it. If Tom, you know, if you have a chance to get Tom Brady, you'd be silly not to. Um, I have no hard feelings or animosity towards Tom. If he retires after this year and comes into the booth, that's the way it goes. But I, I mean, I, I have all the respect in the world for Tom. He's always treated me so well. He's always been so kind to my family, my kids um, before games and stuff. So uh, no hard feelings. And I'm going to go out and try to do the best job I can do. And I hope Tom plays another five years. <laughs> that, that's it. Well, what I was thinking is when you're doing, if you're doing a Buccaneers game next year and you're doing the production meetings and you're sitting there with Tom and he's having another one of his great years, you could always say, Tom, you really don't look like you've lost anything off yeah. your fastball. You look like you're thriving. You look like you yeah. could keep playing. Why would you not keep playing, Tom? Yeah, I mean, I don't think Tom's career is over until he gets 10 Super Bowls. I, I think anything <laughs> less than that would be would be selling himself short. So if I was him, I'd go for 10, and uh, I'll hold the seat warm until he gets there. Well, actually, <laughs> and then you could call two of the three Super Bowls that, that he great. actually tries to win, right? So it works out for all. You would be the analyst for the Super Bowls that Tom Brady's playing in, delaying his arrival at Fox, allowing you to continue to cement your reputation as one of the great color analysts in the game. That's that's perfect scenario. I uh, if you talk to Tom, let him know that that would be well that would be welcomed. <laughs> you know the truth is, in all honesty, he's a great guy. You're a great guy, and you have had dealings with him. I could see the two of you guys getting along incredibly well. Yeah, I, I, like I said, the, the times I've been around him, he's been beyond generous and he's just a good guy. I, again, I respect the hell out of what he's done, who he is, the way he carries. You know, I have nothing but awesome things to say about him. He's always treated me beyond well. And um, it's, I get it. It's business. There's no hard feelings. If he does one day come in and take my job, I'm going to just make him take me for dinner. So what will it be like for you to be doing a Super Bowl? I believe you played in one as a player, right? And you've yep. worked on Super Bowl Sundays. I know you worked with ESPN at least one, maybe two Super Bowl Sundays. 
So yep, you're, you're, yep. you're familiar with Super Bowl Sundays, but what will it be like for you to be sitting in that spot next February in Arizona being the analyst for a Super Bowl in a position that many would hope to be in one day and you'll be in that spot? Yeah, I think the first thought is you just, you know, you're just grateful for the opportunity. You know, it takes people to trust you. I mean, you know this. It takes people to trust you. It takes people to believe in you to give great opportunities, right? It all starts with that. Um, you know, and Fox trusted me with with their biggest, you know, with their their pride and joy, which is their Super Bowl broadcast. And, you know, having one this year and being able to to be alongside Kevin and and sit in the booth together again and and call the biggest sporting event in the world is is a pretty surreal and, and special thought. You know, we have a long way to go before we get there. But as you said, you know, I've, I've been a part of Super Bowls as a player. I've been a part of Super Bowls with some pregame stuff, as you mentioned, with with Countdown, uh, with you guys for a few a few years back um, with the pregame show. So, I mean, I've been there, but I don't think there'll be anything like being in the booth, knowing that you are the, the, the voice, you are the words, you are the, the, the environment, and that you're setting the tone of what this game is for – hundred, you know, over a hundred million people around the world um, is awesome. You know, I look forward to that challenge. I, I love that kind of stuff. And, uh, but it's a long way to go before I get there. You know, I'm excited to call playoff games. You know, I sat home last year, you know, watching CBS have two games and NBC have two games. And, and then obviously Joe and Troy had their games and I'm sitting home. Like I would have loved to have called this game. Like, you know, how cool would it be to be in one of these big moments and uh, you know, down to Tampa or in green Bay or whatever it was. So to now a year later have those opportunities on the horizon is um, is pretty cool. And I'm just curious how it is that you think you've been able to acclimate to the broadcasting world as well as you have. What were you able to do? What did you pick up that enabled you to become, I really mean this, a great analyst this early? Like, is that natural? Is that a talent? Is that just born to you? Like, Sometimes some athletes are just gifted. Is it something you did, something you learned? Because I'm sure there are some people out there who would love to hear how you were able to make that transition so successfully, Greg. I think the big thing was, you know, Fox put me in a a position to be really successful. They put me with a great group. Um, You know, I got to work with, you know, Kevin, who's been doing this for so long. Of course, now he's going to be the longtime voice of the network, uh, replacing, um, you know, Joe, um, Pam Oliver. Obviously, she's a legendary sideline reporter, a ton of experience. Our producer and our director with my crew had called Super Bowls. They had worked at the highest level. They've been doing it for 25, 30 years. So I went to a really experienced crew where they were great teachers. You know, I would we did some games last summer, you know, in a studio somewhere that never made air where we would just practice and, you know, we would pause and they would come out of the booth and be like, hey, so here's some feedback. Try this, try this. So I, I was surrounded by people who were really eager to help me. And, and obviously my partner, you know, with Kevin standing next to me to have someone whose whole goal was to try to make his partner sound good hmm. and not worry about himself was really, was really fortunate on my end. So I got to, you know, kind of just play off their backs and just do my role. And Kevin handles everything else. So seamlessly he carries a, he carries the real bulk of the broadcast. So especially early on, as I got my feet wet, to be able to have all that experience and help around me took a lot of the pressure off. And then as I got more comfortable, I took a little bit more of a assertive, you know, had some thoughts on the broadcast, had some thoughts on different ideas, but along the way, they were just such great teachers. They were so patient with me. They would talk to me during the week and provide feedback and coaching and, and advice. So I, I just think I was really fortunate to be surrounded by some really 
not only talented, but just some really good quality people that wanted me to do well. And, um, you know, as you know, anytime you're surrounded by people that want to see you succeed, it, you know, your chances of actually succeeding are a lot greater. And that's a great humble answer. But the truth of the matter is not everybody can step in and do what you did and basically educate the audience, but give them insight, but don't put it over their head to where you're coming up with something that's so convoluted in football jargon that the masses don't understand and do it with enthusiasm in a quick, concise. Not everybody can do that, Greg. And you honestly nailed it right away. And so as good as all these teammates have been, and as much as they've helped you, there's still something inside you, whatever that is, that enables you to do that so well, so seamlessly and to become so successful to me. I, I don't know what that is because not everybody yeah. can do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the one thing, you know, the one thing that I've always enjoyed and the one thing I've always been able to do is see football, talk football, process football. Like it's been my life. You know, I grew up around right. it from the time I was five years old. My dad was a coach. Like I just, it's what I know. It's very, I feel very confident about what I see. I can see different things. The biggest balance and you nailed it. The biggest balance that I had to try to find early on. And this was some of the best advice I was given is we're, don't dumb down a really beautiful game that is very complex and there's a lot of layers and there's a lot of strategy and, and thought put into to what's, what you're seeing unfold on the field is not just by happenstance. There's a lot of intent behind what you see, but then you also can't talk to the viewer like you're talking in the locker room or how you're talking to your coach or how you're talking to a teammate where you're talking in very specific football terminology that the, right. the, the average viewer at home is not going to process. So there is a little bit of a fine line between teaching, bringing people inside the huddle, bringing people inside the mind of the quarterback in a two minute drive, bringing them inside the huddle of what's going on in halftime. If you find yourself down three scores, what's the coach's message? Like people really enjoy feeling like they have like a fly on the wall to the mindset of the game, but they also need to be able to understand what you're saying. You can't, for everybody right. with the three techniques spike to the a gap and the bet in the backer script people don't know so like explaining complicated things in an easily digestible manner that people go oh you know what i've never heard that put that way that makes sense and i'm going to carry this forward with me to next week to next week and i'm going to learn i'm going to tune into this guy's broadcast next week because i left today understanding what was happening maybe a little bit more than when the game started. Like that's my ultimate goal. While knowing when to say something and when not to say something. And I also think that if there's a correlation between your job and my job, and there aren't many, but the one thing that I think people still like is being told something they don't know, learning something, hearing something they didn't realize or know, whether you're providing that in an informational aspect or whether you're doing that in an analytics role, an analyst aspect, right? That people still like that. Absolutely. People want to be entertained. They want to be told stuff they've never heard before. They want to be told like, in, in, you know, you, you're, you brought up a great example in, in your world. Like when you provide people with these unbelievable breaking stories or these little nuggets or nuances, those are they feel like they're getting access to information that nobody else is getting. I mean, yes, 10 million people are following you when you, when you tweet it, but in their minds, they're getting access to this information in real time. 
that no one else is getting. So it's the same thing when you're listening to a broadcast, like you want to sit there and be told, like, you want, you don't want to just see Aaron Rodgers completed the pass to Devonte Adams. Like what's the mindset of Devonte Adams at the line of scrimmage? How is he understanding where to be? What's the timing? And like, how do you paint that picture in seven seconds? And people go, Oh my God, that makes sense. He's not just running around trying to catch the ball. Like there's a lot of purpose in what's going on. Like people want to know the process that goes into it because there's such complexity to football. And if you can communicate it the right way that people can understand, I think people will appreciate the game even more than they may just as a casual fan. And it's also wild as crazy as the NFL was this off season with all these trades with Russell Wilson going to Denver and Devontae Adams going to Vegas and Tyree Kill going to Miami and Robert Woods, Tennessee, and Matt Ryan, Indianapolis. It was also a crazy season for broadcasters, right? Like who yeah. thought that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman would go to ESPN, that you'd go wind up be the number one guy at Fox, that all the changes in the broadcast industry would happen the way they did. And I think the public had a high degree of interest in all those moves in addition to all the NFL moves, because the NFL needed more juice during the offseason and it needed to give people even more information to talk about. It's It's been wild. And I'll tell you, somewhat being in it, right, where like I all those moves had a direct impact on my career and my life and all that. I followed it very closely, you know, very similar to in free agency, right? Every year in free agency, I would be refreshing your Twitter feed because I wanted to know every time I knew who the tight ends were that were free agents. And I wanted to see how much money they all made. <laughs> and I wanted to see who signed where, because that all affected me. That all affected my market and my, you know, whatever. So it was the same thing now with the free agents, you know, with TV, when, when, when Troy left, that changed my career trajectory immensely. And then obviously was following what Drew Brees was going to do. And then Tom and all those moves when they directly impact, aside from just being interesting, they were really interesting for me because it was, uh, it had a direct impact on my life, you know? So it was a, it was a heck of an off season, stressful, frustrating, exciting, all kind of wrapped in one. On the day that Troy Aikman went to ESPN, I got a call about three in the afternoon that day. And it said, Troy Aikman's going to ESPN. I'm like, what? So I texted one of my bosses. I'm like, we got Troy Aikman. He's like, what are you talking about? He didn't know anything about it. I said, we got Troy Aikman. So I text Troy and I said, congratulations. And there's no response. And I wanted to see how this all unfolded, right? And all of a sudden, three, four hours later, the story breaks. And right when it does, Troy sends me a text. Thanks, Adam. And I said, well, welcome to the team. You know? So I was waiting for that story to unfold. Okay, when's this coming out? Like I wasn't going to be the one that, that broke that story, right? But yeah. I found that, and there were, there were very, 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 very few people who knew about that, apparently, at the time. Yeah. Found that early in the day, and I'm like waiting to see, oh, when's this coming out? When's this going to come out during the course of the day? And there it was later in the day. And when you say you track all this other thing, in case you hadn't heard, Tom Brady got a big contract, right? So if you continue to crush it, if you continue to crush it, there's some hope that you can make some real money here in the future doing what there's, you're doing. <laughs> yep. I don't have as many Super Bowls, but uh, we'll uh... – We'll cross that bridge. We get there. I, I, you know, my, my plan this year is I, I've always believed the money, the contracts, all that stuff is always a byproduct of how good you are at your job. And if you are good at your job and you go in and you give it what you give it, everything you have, and you focus on just being good at what you do, everything else always takes care of itself. And that was true when I was a player. 
And I'm going to take the same approach now in, you know, in this career where if you get wrapped up in chasing contracts and chasing this and you take your eye off what's important, it's easy to get sidetracked. So I'm going to, I'm going to approach just like I did last year and, and prepare each week to, to give interesting information and really understand what I'm seeing and talking about and just go out and have a great time and talk football. At the end of the day, we sit in a booth for three hours and we talk about football. We're not, you know, we're not talking about international politics. We're not talking about building a nuclear bomb. We're, we're, we're talking about football. It's, it's simple. It's easy. It's fun. It's light. People are sitting around having a beer and they just want to be entertained and, and watch their favorite team play on a Sunday afternoon. And we want to just make it a little more enjoyable. That's at the end of the day, what we're doing is not that important. Here's what I would say about that. And I really mean this. If I could buy stock in Greg Olson, the broadcaster, I would buy as much stock in that today as I could. Well, I appreciate it. That means a lot, Adam. I appreciate that. That's true because the price of that stock is going to go up and up and up. And I really mean that. And I think it's going to go great. And I also hope we've distracted you enough from your family's football camp here that we kept you in the car long enough. And I want to thank you and congratulate and salute you on the work you're doing for tight end university. I want to congratulate you on TJ, the one year anniversary and good luck with the procedure tomorrow. And I want to congratulate you on the promotion with Fox and we'll be watching this year and rooting for you and pulling for you again. And, and, and hopefully we can do this again next year at this time again to commemorate another tight end university and another milestone for TJ. Well, I look forward to that. You've been awesome. You've always, you've been a great friend and uh, a great supporter. So I appreciate it. It's always fun chatting with you and uh, look forward to seeing you here soon. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate you and your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. Take care, man. And there is the great Greg Olson. I do mean great. I think, as I told him, his broadcasting career is only going to go up. And I actually think that that puts pressure on Tom Brady to be not just good, but great as a broadcaster because Greg already is great and he will continue to do great work for Fox. It'll be interesting to see how that entire situation transpires. Also, big congratulations in order to Matt Fitzpatrick, the golfer who won the U.S. Open this weekend, and his caddy, Billy Foster. And this is hard to believe. The guy had been on the bag for 40 years and never won a major. It's incredible to think that that happened. U.S. Open always provides great drama on Father's Day. It did again. Matt Fitzpatrick, a Northwestern graduate, coming through with the big win. Love watching that. I could sit around and watch golf all day. I love that so much. And he was so clutch over the weekend. And it was great to see that happen. And so congratulations to Matt Fitzpatrick and to his caddy, Billy Foster. Anytime anybody does something that long and finally wins something, it would be like some of these actors or actresses who never won an Oscar finally coming through and getting their shiny moments. So Billy Foster deserved that. All right, on next week's episode, we are scheduled to be joined by the Jets wide receiver, Braxton Berrios. So please come back and don't miss that conversation. It should be a lot of fun next week. And for this week, I want to thank Greg Olson, the number one analyst at Fox, and wish him luck this upcoming season as he gets to call his first Super Bowl, which should be a lot of fun. I want to thank my producers, Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott, for their great work putting this together. I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Again, please join us next week when we are scheduled to be joined by Braxton Berrios. And until then, have a great week, be well, and stay safe.